Welcome to this week's Weekly Investor Insights. This is Gavin Ralston, and I'm delighted to have with me Rory Bateman, who, as you all know, is now Head of Equities, having previously been Head of European Equities. Welcome to the call, Rory. I'm sure it's your, it's your first, but I'm sure it won't be your last appearance. Thank you, Gavin. Great to be here. The, there are two changes to the format this week. As I think you know, we're no longer transmitting live but we're still available as a recording and, most importantly, as a podcast, which I hope many of you are listening to. Turning to markets, uh, I wrote a few notes at the end of last week about how calm markets were and how low the VIX index was. Uh, In fact, there was almost no change in either the major equity or bond indices last week. But that all changed on Sunday with President Trump's latest tweet in which he said that the U.S. would raise tariffs to 25% on most Chinese imports to the U.S. by Friday of this week. This led to a sharp drop in Chinese equities and the currency, which ironically makes Chinese goods more competitive. But so far, at least, there's been a less dramatic reaction elsewhere. Markets had clearly been pricing in 100% certainty of an amicable resolution to the trade negotiations, so this news came as a rude shock, and that can be seen most clearly in a sharp rise in the VIX index. But looking at year-to-date returns, China's now 17% up for the year, having been significantly higher a few weeks ago. Coincidentally, that 17% is almost exactly the same as the year-to-date return on the S&P 500. Last week, in what was rather calmer territory, the most important developments were in the US, the latest meeting of the FOMC, and then on Friday, the employment numbers. The former led to a pause in the upwards move in equity markets, but Mr Powell seemed to question whether the core inflation numbers were quite as weak as they appeared. Conversely, the employment numbers on Friday were much stronger than market expectations, but wage inflation showed no sign of acceleration. So Goldilocks appears to be alive and well. The other release last week was Eurozone growth numbers for the first quarter. They were better than expected at 0.4% growth for the region. Uh, The comparable number in the US who tend to release uh, year-on-year growth rates was 0.8%, so weaker than the US but better than markets expected. Either way, the data bears out Keith's comment on the call last week that European economies are performing better than expected. So we'll return to the equity markets. One one of the phrases we've heard recently from actually from Alex Tedder, from Keith and from Larry Fink at BlackRock is that we're on the verge of a melt up in equity markets. Do you think that's likely? I would say a melt up scenario is relatively unlikely. I'd go at a a sort of 10 to 20 percent chance. I think we've had a situation so far this year where clearly oversold conditions of Q4 last year. So there's an element of relief bounce. And we've seen that coming through justifiably so, given the earnings profile we've seen in Q1, which for the US is has delivered uh, about down minus 0.8% in terms of uh, earnings for about 75% of the companies that are reported so far. And this is much better than the anticipated minus 4, minus 5% that was anticipated for Q1. So we've had a bit of an earnings reprieve. We've had much more dovish comments from the Fed. Um, and as you say, about a 100% chance of a trade deal coming through. Well, that certainly was in the expectation. So the environment has been very conducive for a strong rally in equity markets. From here, I think we are looking at an absolute Goldilocks scenario, which uh, I find difficult to, to, to understand from this point. And you talked about the earnings numbers for the first quarter. What about earnings for US companies for the full year? Yep, so uh, the forecasts vary, but we're looking for a very low single-digit uh, appreciation in earnings, and um, I've got no reason to, to go against that. The 
the uh, earnings profile for companies broadly this year has come down quite significantly. So the the equity market has outperformed significantly despite the earnings expectations coming down. But as I say, that's a function of more dovish Fed and all for the other reasons that I've mentioned. So the, the other feature of the first quarter was a, another quarter of underperformance by value stocks. Uh, not, not the first pretty much since 2016 value has been underperforming quite significantly. Why do you think that's happening? Why is value underperforming quarter after quarter? Well, there are some there are some fairly good reasons, and there are some some rather disappointing reasons. But firstly, I think as we go towards the end of the cycle, then the market is more in tune with more defensive earnings profile, and typically in the value space, you have more cyclical stocks, um, and that means that the earnings are much less predictable. So, from a sort of uh, from a qualitative quality growth perspective the earnings profile is more is more visible therefore the market seems more prepared to pay up for that and given the the, the amazing longevity of this cycle um, it's been uh, it's, it's perhaps not surprising that uh, value has continued to underperform having said that for uh, the, the negative reasons of course may well be that we're just playing a sort of momentum trade and any money that seems to be going into equities now is is, is, is heavily driven by passives and ETFs. And so these uh, the, these fund flows are, are perpetuating the momentum trade. And that, that actually could be quite worrying on a, on a medium to longer term view. We'll come back to that point about the impact of, of um, passive flows in a moment. But in terms of valuation, that there must come a point where value stocks become so cheap that notwithstanding their reliance on cyclical earnings prospects, they will start to perform. Are, are we close to that point? Well, you, you would think so. And I think as we look through the end of the cycle, then I think that, the, that that's exactly when value stocks will start to perform extremely well. You need some evidence of a slowdown in the underlying economy and people begin to look through to the end of the cycle or the or, and in fact the next earnings recovery and that's when the market could really substantially revalue uh, the value element of the market and the divergence of uh, value versus growth is 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 significant in every market in the world in Europe it's uh, it's most acute where uh, we're in sort of 99th percentile in terms of valuations and quality globally quality has outperformed value by nearly 5% per annum over the last five years. So we are at extreme levels. And uh, this concept of, uh, well, let me, I think there are a couple of uh, areas where value will perform extremely well. And that the first one I've mentioned in terms of the market looking through the end of cycle slowdown and anticipating the next recovery. Um, but more, perhaps more worryingly is that if we start to see a, a, a risk off environment, the risk-off is likely to be uh, um, recognised through highly rated quality growth momentum stocks, particularly if these companies start to miss their earnings trajectories or earnings expectations. There's a significant valuation differential between the value and growth, and I think that that derating in a market sell-off will be very significant, hitting those more highly rated stocks. So that could be quite negative for the overall market, but value within it will, will perform significantly better. And speaking of highly rated growth stocks, we heard the news last week that Berkshire Hathaway, uh, Warren Buffett, had been buying Amazon. Is this the capitulation of a great value investor or is, is, is there some significant news in that? Well, I, I think that the the worrying thing is that maybe, maybe Warren Buffett's taking a bit of a punt here because if you think about uh, flows into passives, and I know we're going to come back to that, but if you think about flows into passive, let's say the S&P of... Uh, have benefited from $1.7 trillion going into passive funds over the last five years. 
And that means that around well over $200 billion have gone into the top six stocks, of which Amazon is one. And so these companies have basically um, got access to free capital. And, and that means that they will continue to benefit from very low cost of capital. And that means they can continue to dominate their space. So, you know, in, in fact, it's not surprising that these companies are, are really taking over significant market share in a number of sectors across the world. It's because of that access to free capital, effectively. And, and I mean, let's let's dwell on that subject of the impact of, of passive flows. So you th you think now, and and our fund managers would bear this out, that there are distortions appearing in the price of securities caused by the volume of passive flows. Well, it's very difficult to prove the distortions, but I think if we look at the valuation differentials that we talked about in terms of value versus quality, um, you know, to be in the ninety ninth percentile, um, and because the gross flows going into passive and ETFs are so significant that does tend to push up stocks that are already uh, benefiting from the momentum trade. The other thing, of course, is that in, in Tokyo, where uh, in Japan, where 70% of the market now is, is uh, of assets under management are, um, are apparently passive, um, and the divergence between the Nikkei and the Topix would suggest that the Bank of Japan's actions are having a distorted effect on the market. So there is evidence, we can't be conclusive about it, but there is evidence that these flows are, are being quite damaging to the underlying So uh, stocks markets. that are not in one of the indices that's been tracked by ETFs are suffering relative Correct. to those that are. Correct, yes. That's right, that's right. And um, this, 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 this may well continue, of course, but um, as I say, if there, is a, if there is a change in direction of the market, then these momentum stocks are going to be hit. Let's move on to, to Europe, which is your um, traditional stamping ground. Um, Keith was reasonably upbeat a week ago on European growth from a macro perspective. Can you update us on what's happening at the corporate level, yep. the earnings season in particular? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it's actually been a fairly decent quarter for earnings uh, year on year, 3% growth year on year, um, which is pretty good, better than the US, in fact. Um, I think what's happened uh, since the start of the year is, again, we've seen earnings expectations come down from something like 10%, and we're now anticipating a, a 4 to 5% earnings growth for the full year. So 2018 was a very difficult year for Europe. 2019 looks to be better, and the first quarter would, would, would bear that out. Um, and I think from a sentiment perspective, um, the, the German situation has been very difficult where we've seen significant earnings downgrades such that earnings, underlying earnings in Germany now are forecast to come in below levels of 2017. So, you know, things are, expectations have, have been cut um, and this might actually be a good thing. Um, you know, clearly markets are driven by expectations and, and as, as earnings revisions start to bottom out, that could be quite supportive for the market. So in, in a sense, um, things have been uh, thing, things are couldn't get much worse in Europe in terms of flow, in terms of earnings revisions, etc. So maybe maybe we were hitting some some floor, if you like, in terms of European equities. And I think the the, the Euros, Eurostox index is up fifteen percent so far this year, so very much within touching distance of the US, which hasn't been the case in many years in the recent past. Yes, um, and. You know, people uh, often ask why that is the case. Clearly, we've got the, the, the passive flows that I've talked about going into pumping up technology stocks, etc. Maybe that's one issue. Um, but I think the, uh, the other area for Europe is the, um, the difference in share buybacks. Companies in the US have been very 
um, shall we say, uh, build, developing their uh, the balance sheet, taking on taking on more leverage to buy back shares in their own businesses, and that's been very very significantly boosting earnings per share for U.S. companies. As well, of course, uh, Trump has been very generous in terms of tax cuts, so we haven't significantly benefited from either of those in Europe. So I think the earnings playing field from here looks perhaps more and more level, um, and Europe may well do a little bit better in terms of uh, earnings per share growth as we go forward relative to the U.S. Um, moving to the UK, if, if you cut through all the noise around Brexit, how does the UK look from a stock picker's perspective? Well, I do think you have to look through Brexit because it, there is continued volatility around whatever goes on and, and international investors are looking at the UK market thinking, well, why do I have to bother? The thing is that within the UK, you know, 70% of um, the FTSE is uh, is faced to external earnings. So it's it's a very international market, and some of the valuations, even for those international earnings uh, companies with with high international earnings, are, still, are looking very attractive. So there is a sense that at some point we are really going to have to start pounding the table for UK equities. It's a very international market, and uh, valuations look very compelling. So for a stock picker. Uh, from on an international perspective, you can't afford to ignore the UK, particularly given where we are today. If you look at equity markets through a different lens, that of themes, we've been very active this year, both in launching new thematic funds and in repurposing existing funds. Um, fr from your perspective, from the dimension of, of thematics, where are the themes that are attracting investor interest at the moment? Okay, well, not surprisingly, it's the higher beta end, particularly this year, that have done very well. So, um, you know, the robotics, the tech funds have done very well. Um, on the flip side, you could say, you know, healthcare is, healthcare is up 5%, uh, shall we say, relative to the disruption fund, our own disruption fund, which is up 25%. So there's a very wide dispersion in terms of the higher beta, the higher um, technology-focused uh, sector funds or thematic funds. And... Um, you know that that is part of that is to do with healthcare performing very well in the back end of last year, but you can see that uh, the higher the beta of the theme, then the better it's performed this year. And the divergence between technology and healthcare is interesting because uh, healthcare significantly outperformed, as you said, technology in in twenty eighteen, and that's reversed in in the first four months of twenty nineteen. How do you see that particular pair trade playing out in the rest of this year? Well, uh, given that I'm uh, from previous comments, I would assume that markets are um, that are, we're not off to the races from here. I think I think if we can hang on to the gains that we've got so far this year, then I think that'll actually be a positive result overall. In which case, you would expect healthcare, some of the more defensive sectors, to to do reasonably well. Um, something like our, our global cities fund, uh, which will do well in a sort of in a market neutral or a sell-off environment. These more, uh, these less exposed to high beta will do relatively well. And f the other side of uh, outperforming thematics is which sectors are suffering most from either actual disruption or fears of disruption. Uh, we've obviously seen a lot of that in the past in retail industry and media and so on. Looking forward, which industries do you think are most vulnerable to disruption? Well, we think all industries are going to be impacted by disruption. I, I think that I think the beauty around these thematic funds is that 
we're not using these as, a, as an application call. Um, this is more about identifying themes that are, are here for the long term. Um, and so our clients can get engaged with these products on a, on a five-year view. And it's very difficult to time the entry or exit into these particular funds. But, but um, you know, healthcare, it may be a very good idea right now to, to be getting involved. I think from uh, a, a broader perspective, from an industry perspective, Financials are a very difficult sector, and we're seeing quite a lot of disruption, in, and particularly in the banking sector. And you know, valuations in the banking sector is, are, are very low, um, and a lot of that is clearly to do with net interest income in a low, in, low interest rate environment. But also, in terms of the disruption to the banking business model, there are there's a significant threat to their their core businesses, and, and I think that's being reflected in valuations. And indeed, it's very difficult to see a respite uh, from that as we as we go forward. And the disruption to the banking business model comes from technology solutions supplanting traditional banking services. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. It's um, uh, supplanting uh, of, of their existing businesses. The consumers are becoming more confident, more bold in seeking differentiated solutions, different technology solutions to their banking requirements and insurance requirements. It is a it's a space where. The consumer is being, you know, re-enfranchised, if you like, from a technology perspective, and uh, and that's coming through loud and clear within banks and insurance companies. And just one other question, which maybe comes back to the the impact of significant flows into uh, passives and ETFs, and that's that's the um, behaviour of smaller companies. Uh, we don't hear as much about small cap as we used to. Is is that one of the great buying opportunities over the next few years that small cap has missed out on passive flows so smaller companies are now much more cheaply rated? Well I think there has been some small uh, small cap underperformance, mid cap underperformance and uh, that's a very very exciting area for us. We're, uh, we're looking for new areas to expand our business in small and mid cap um, and I think some of the valuations now are, are looking very compelling so, so yeah um, that would be a, a real key focus for us and and these companies will will do well um, as long as we don't go into significant slowdown. I think, the, as I say, the sort of cyclicality of end of the market, the sort of more value end of the, the spectrum, will do well as the market begins to anticipate the next recovery in earnings as we go through this this potential slowdown or end of cycle period that we might be entering. We're almost out of time, so let me just summarise a couple of the points that Rory has made. The, the first was that he doesn't believe in the theory of a melt-up. Um, in Rory's view, markets are probably as good as they're going to be for 2019. Uh, the easy money has been made, and that would have implications for the continuing performance of the high beta stocks that have been leading market in the very leading markets in the very sharp rally since January. Uh, we talked about uh, European stock markets. Uh, he was pretty constructive about European earnings growth relative to uh, US earnings growth. So this may be a year in which the, uh, Europe recoup some of its recent underperformance. Uh, we also talked about disruption um, and highlighting the vulnerability of some parts of the financial sector, banking in particular, to the sort of disruption we've seen so far in other industries. And finally, we uh, talked about the distorting consequences of the, the very significant flows into passive funds and the opportunities that that may be presenting for stock pickers like our fund managers. That's all we have time for this week. Rory, thank you very much indeed, and thank you all for listening.